can open up your Bibles. We're going to be over in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew chapter 18. I like this passage of Scripture because sometimes it goes, well, it does go against a lot of religious people's thinking. The disciples came to Jesus and they say, how, uh, they were disputing amongst themselves, you know, who's going to be the greatest? I'm the greatest. You're the greatest. And they're having this dispute. And Jesus learned about this. And so he had had a talking to about them. Now, how many of you would think that if Jesus doesn't want you to become the greatest in the kingdom, that he wouldn't teach you how to do it? I mean, why would you teach somebody how to do something if you don't want them to do it? They're having a discussion, who's the greatest? And instead of rebuking them for having such a discussion, he actually teaches them, look, if you want to become the greatest, this is how you do it. Wouldn't that seem kind of, kind of odd? If you, if you want people to be humble, no, I'm the lowest in the kingdom. No, I'm, I'm, just, uh, I'm just glad to be here and to you know, be a gatekeeper or something like that. We have that. If, if that's the attitude he wanted you to have, then why didn't he, why didn't he teach you how to have that attitude? Why does he go on and teach you how to become the greatest? Because it's not wrong to want to become the greatest in the kingdom. Really, it's not wrong to have a desire to become great at anything that you do. Whatever it is you do, you can have the desire to become great. Now, in order to become great, that means that someone else has to be less than you. And that's where we have a problem with this. That means someone else is not as good as I am at this particular thing. Well, that's probably because they didn't work as hard. They weren't given as much talent as, as uh, God had given you. Whatever the reason is, if you went and became the greatest, there's a good reason for it. Now, we had um, we were sitting down to lunch the other day, and I don't know how we came upon it, but we uh, came upon that show I've talked to you about a few times, Last Man Standing. Love that show. Somehow, in all the times we, missed, we, we watched this, we missed the pilot episode. And the pilot episode was on. And so we sat down and we were watching this. That was hysterical. That was just how they started the whole thing off too. And so we were watching this thing. And uh, of course, Tim Allen, his character, is dropping the baby off at the daycare. And as he's dropping, anybody see that scene? <laughs> dropping the baby off at the daycare. And he goes, all right, champ, have a good day. Oh, we don't, use, we don't use words like that. He goes, champ? Well, yes, because that means that you have dominated someone else or you have that victory over someone else or however it is that he put it. And, uh, and we don't do that here. And after the course of discussion of a number of things that they didn't do there and things that they were doing, he decided, I'm going to go get my kid. So he went in there and he got him back out and, and took him along. But see, we have that mentality that in order to become a champ, that means I must have beaten someone. And really, you don't have to have that mentality at all because just because you, just because you are the best at it doesn't mean that you had to step on anyone else to get there. Now, a lot of times we think of sports like boxing or wrestling or ones like that where two people are coming. And in order for one to win, what has to happen? One has to lose and one has to be, basically in those sports, beaten into submission. But not all sports are like that. When I was involved with running, uh, you didn't have to step on anybody in order to, to, to win. You just had to beat yourself. And if you happen to be the fastest one out there, great. And, you know, you'd strive for that. You were trying to and get there. But just because... You did great doesn't mean that you took away from anyone else and what they were able to do. And that's the way it is in the kingdom of God. Run your race, as Paul says. 
And he teaches them here how to become the greatest, but he teaches them a lot more than just how to become the greatest. He'll teach us some principles that will help us keep some things out of our life that we have allowed to come in. Because that's the purpose of our series here. How do we make permanent change? How do we make change that endures? Now, last week we were looking at judging not and when we were to judge, when we're not supposed to judge. We're looking at logs and splinters and all those kind of things. We ended it with this, practicing things God said not to do will cause you to be carrying the things that God never intended you to. Sometimes we're carrying some stuff because we're doing some things that he said, don't, don't be doing that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become a little children, child, Come as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Now imagine this, we got this meeting going on. Disciples come to him and ask him, they got all these, you know, these 12 guys around, maybe some other ones. And the disciples come and they ask him this, and here's this little, little child, and Jesus calls this little child on up. Come on up here. Now if you call some little children on up, they get kind of bashful and they, they don't want to go. Or if they do go, they get real quiet. Or sometimes, you know, it just depends on the personality of, of the person. Sometimes they're just uh, exuberant to be there. But he looks at them and he says, you have to become like this little child. Now, when he called that little child there, that little child didn't say, what do you want me to come here for? Is it something? Am I going to receive something for coming? What are you going to give me? Doesn't, doesn't do any of that. Jesus calls the little child to come, and what's the little child do? The little child came. Not based on anything it was going to receive, just based on the fact that Jesus called him. Now come on over here. And, and that's what we need to do. We need to become like little, little children, in that as soon as God calls, we come. As soon as God says, do this, we do it. That's, going, that's how you get to be the greatest in the kingdom, is to become like this little child. Not one who, who sits there and questions, well, why should I do that? Well, I don't want to do that right now. What happens to the little children as they grow up and they begin to pick up some of those rebellious attitudes? So-and-so, they'll call the little boy, call the little girl, come on into the room. I don't want to. I'm not gonna. <laughs> What's that instill inside you? Kind of the wrong, the wrong kind of things gets stirred up inside of us. He says, unless you become as a little child, you won't. That's what you read it as, as he put it here. Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to become like that little child that he called on up and said, come on. Now that word converted comes from word to, word to mean to turn, to return, or to change. To turn, to return, or to change. We see, I give you some references to it. Jesus used this when he was turning towards the crowd. When all of a sudden he would just turn to the crowd. How many saw the, the movie Forrest Gump? How many, saw the, how many did not see the movie Forrest Gump? All right, a couple of you. Well, if you saw the movie Forrest Gump, there's a, scene, there's a couple of scenes in there where he just decided to run. And he just is running. And he's running back and forth from one coast to the other for no particular reason, according to him. But he's, as he's running, all of a sudden he stops. He stops and he has this big crowd following him. And as he stops, what happens to the crowd? 
they stop. Now his back is to them all this time. He's running ahead of them. They're running behind. And then all of a sudden he turned around. That's what, that's what this word is talking, talking about. You're heading in one direction. You're going in this one direction. And all of a sudden, you turn around. He says, unless you become converted, unless you stop going in the way that you have been going, unless you go in a direction to become as a little child, who when, when Jesus says, come, he comes. When Jesus says, go, he goes. Whatever Jesus said to that little child, that little child did without needing all the explanation. Unless you become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. You see, what happens a lot of times is as we grow up, as we get bigger, we saw the little child, we did the things as a little child, but now we're adults. Now we're kind of growing out of that stage. And as we grow out of that stage, now we question everything. And we look at little ch- children, and it's easy for us to despise the attitude of a little child. See, a little child will just do anything, just because you said so. And sometimes, some people get to a place where they despise the little child. And he says, don't be doing it. Don't, don't be going that way. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Better if it was that way. Better. Imagine that. Better if you just jump into an ocean or a lake or someplace and just drown yourself than if you have that attitude. We've got to have the attitude that these little ones that need protecting, I have an attitude that I'm going to protect them. I'm going to watch over them. That's the attitude we have. Whether they're little children, whether they're young Christians, whoever it might be, we watch over them. He goes on, Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses comes. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If, if something that you have on your person is causing you to do things that would cause others to be, become offended and to fall off, he says it's better off that you cut that thing off. Now, certainly your hand isn't causing anyone to be offended, hopefully. Hopefully, uh, that's, not, that's not the kind of thing that's going on. But he says, if it is, if for any reason that was, if it was this extreme, that your arm somehow caused offense, it's better if you cut off that arm and enter the kingdom of heaven without an arm than it is if you kept on going the way you are. Now, Jesus is just, just getting warmed up for the stuff that we want to see here. So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet and be cast into everlasting fire. So if you're wondering what the alternative is that he's talking about, it's not talking about a lesser area of the kingdom. He's saying you're going to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. I remember a story Brother Hagin was telling us one time. That he was uh, standing there with the Lord Jesus and there was this big, very large angel that was standing there as well. And he asked the Lord, he says, who is that? And he answered him, he said, that's your angel. He said, I have an angel? He says, yes. 
He said, well, you have to give me chapter and verse on that one. And so he, this is one of the chapters and verses that he took him to. He took him here. Did you see that in there it said that the angels of the children are ever before my father? He says, well, they never stop being your angel. Think about that, folks. You have an angel assigned to you. He's been there since you were little. You have an angel. Your own personal angel. How many angels does God have that everyone can have one? That's a lot of angels. Because not all angels are bodyguards. They have other purposes too. But he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. So when you see those little kids running around, don't ever despise them and say, well, they're just little kids. No. Just think of it. Whatever I'm doing, that angel's watching. And he's before the Father. How things go with uh, little Johnny today. Well, it was going pretty good until Steve showed up. Did something nasty. And he's talking about children. Now he's talking to whoever is saved or unsaved. He's talking to everybody. The world, the saved, those going into fire, those going into heaven. He's talking to everybody here. There should be nothing so dear to you that you would keep it even if it causes you or if it causes you to cause another to become offended, to sin, whatever it might be. So don't despise these little ones. To do so means that I am greater than those little ones. It means that they are lesser and that I am not one of those. You, look, you put them in a category by themselves. I am not one of those little kids. He said, don't despise them. Folks, don't despise them. They look innocent. They look small. They look insignificant. They look like they can't do you any, they can't help you at all. No, no, no. Well, I just don't have a personality for kids. Get one. Get one. Make sure that you have a love for the children. For the Son of Man has come to save that which, which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So now we talked about little kids. What about a young one who's in, in the Christian family? Someone who's just just born again in the Christian family. That's a young one. That's a little one. That's a lamb. He says God is more excited about that one who returns than a 99 who stayed. Now, if you get to be one of the 99 who stays and you get offended at that, how come you're so excited that they return? I've been here. I haven't gone anywhere. What's happening to you? You're picking up an attitude that despises the little children. You're picking up that attitude. Don't be picking up that attitude. Don't be having that attitude. You ought to be on the side that rejoices. Man, I am so glad that came on back. Not the side that says, hey, what about me? I see, he's, he's talking about a flow of an attitude here. We've gone from the little children, becoming like little children. Don't despise them. Don't, don't, don't offend them. Don't cause them to, to, to go anywhere. To now, be excited when they come back. If they got offended and they wandered off, be excited that they came back. Because all heaven gets excited over it. And if all heaven gets excited over it, shouldn't we? Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. 
If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have ever been offended by someone who's a Christian? Someone who's a brother offended you. What's it say to do? Well, just put it out of your head. Just forget about it. Just go on. Does it say to do that? No. Does it say to go talk to your neighbor about it? Go talk to another brother or sister about it. Well, go talk to them. Make sure that you're right. Does it say bring it up at the prayer meeting? Well, you know, brother so-and-so, they missed it over here. And I think we ought to just pray for them that they uh, would repent or that they would come back or whatever. It doesn't say to do that, does it? But how many times have we seen Christians that take one of these other roads? But that's not what it says. It says if your brother has sinned against who? If your brother has sinned against you. That does not mean that if I know a brother or sister has sinned against Vanessa, that I ought to go talk to them. It means if the brother or sister has sinned against me, I am the one who needs to go and talk to them. If the brother or sister has sinned against you, who gets to go? You do. How easy is it? Can you go talk to brother so-and-so for me? I mean, they really hurt me. They really offended me. Can you go and talk to them about that? How easy is it for us to fall into these other things? But that's not what the Bible says. You've got to do it the Bible's way. Who are we supposed to talk to? The brother that offended you. Now, see, he's building to something here. We haven't even got to it yet. We're not even into the juicy stuff. He's just building on stuff. We've got to see the context of what Jesus is doing. Because there's a, there's a verse out here that a lot of people have taken out of context and use it for what it's not used for. So we need to see what he's building up to. If your brother sins against you, go to who? Tell him his fault. Now look at this. Between you and him alone. Now let's just say Vanessa has never done anything that would qualify like this at all. Never at all. We've known each other for how many thousands of years? <laughs> However long it is. It's been a long time. Never one time has she done it. So I'm going to pick on Vanessa here. Because don't go out from here and saying he's un- I'm underhandedly trying to say. No, she- never, never, never. So Vanessa does something against me. And I come, I follow the verse of Scripture. And I go to Vanessa and I say, Vanessa, now you did this. This was a sin. And I, I need to approach you about this. And we had this discussion. And she repents. Oh, I didn't realize that I had done that. I repent. And, and we go on. If I then go over to Matt. Matt, Vanessa sinned against me. But I want you to know, I confronted her about it. And she repented. And everything's good. What have I done? Go and tell him his fault. How? Between you and him alone. Too many times, folks, in the body of Christ, people have corrected wrongs and then told everybody about it. That is not what that verse of Scripture says to do. Go and tell him his fault between you and him. Alone. Just the two of you. Talk to him about it alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. Now see, this is what this verse of Scripture is written about. It's about gaining your brother, not about correction. Or it's more about gaining your brother. God wants you to gain your brother or your sister 
more so than he wants the correction. The correction is good. But here's what he, he emphasized. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. If he hears you. If he doesn't hear you, you haven't gained anything. But if they say, oh, I see that. I didn't see that before. I see that now. And um, I'll fix that. I'll take care of that. You gained your brother. But don't go off there and tell another soul about it. Not a single person. No one. That means even your spouse. It does not say that you should do that. It means between you and him alone. That's it. If you're going to follow what the Scripture says, follow what the Scripture says. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, didn't say against God, said against you, did something against you, go talk to your brother and keep it between you and them. That's it. Don't bring anybody else into it. Don't let everybody else know how big of a person you were. Anything like that. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. I'm sorry, we missed them. Verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Now here's a key word to this one. He is not telling you to go out there and grab two or three other brothers or sisters and bring them into the meeting. He is not telling you to do that. He is not saying, all right, well, they didn't hear me, so I'm going to go over here and grab two or three others and bring them into the meeting, and then all of us will say, he is not saying to do that. He is saying, go out and grab two or three witnesses who have, now, in order to be a witness, what do you have to do? You've got to see something. If you were in a court of law and you were called on the witness stand, we all, we all watch Matlock, right? Or uh, what's, the, what's the other one? Uh, What's the old one before Matlock? Who's that? Perry Mason. That's the one. Thank you. We've seen Perry Mason. We've seen these different law folks that get on there and, and you know, they're growing the, the witness and, uh, and they ask them the question, you know, tell us what you, you saw. Well, so-and-so said, and what's, what's, the, uh, what's the attorney say? Objection. Hearsay. <laughs> we all know that word. Hearsay. Why? You can only testify in court to what you have seen. So if you're going to grab two or three witnesses for this particular wrong, they must have seen this go on. So whenever the offense happened, you have to go back and think of two or three people who were there and saw it. Now what if you don't have two or three witnesses? And you can't do that, can you? You need to go out and find two or three witnesses. I've had people in church and they come to me and they say, so-and-so offended me. You know, they talk to them about it. And uh, they come to me and they say, you know, I think you ought to do something about it. You're the pastor here at the church. You probably ought to, ought to deal with this. And, um, and they're telling me the situation. And the situation was between them, you know, two people. No witness. No witness at all. I said, uh, as much as I may believe you or as much as I may believe them, it makes no difference at all because the Word of God says that everything, every word will be established on two or three witnesses. And you have no witness that says it happened the way you say it and they have no witness that says it happened the way they said it. Couldn't go any further with that. You need, a witness is a person who saw it. Now, you don't bring those witnesses in until you, you deal with that. What if one of those witnesses came to you a week later 
and it said, I saw brother so-and-so say this, do this to you, and um, I know that was wrong. What should you say? Oh, don't worry about it. I sat him down. I talked about it. We got it all worked out. Nope, you don't even say that. All you have to do is say, you know what? We talked about it. Or just, just say, you know what? It's handled. I just want you to put that out of your head. It has been handled and everything is good. And that's it. Just let it go with that. You don't have to say who was right, who was wrong. Because it's supposed to be between who? You and them alone. If they don't hear it, now you bring in two or three witnesses. You need people who witnessed something that went on. He goes on after that. If you don't get anywhere with that one. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Then you bring it before the church. Now, it must be a pretty weighty matter if it's going to be brought before the, the church. But that's what he says to do next. But can you imagine if you sat someone down and said to them, look, this is a wrong that was done. You did it to me. I'm, I'm talking. I don't care what I did to you. Well, that'd be a bit of a wrong attitude, wouldn't it? And if you grab two, other, two or three other people and say, you look, brother so-and-so, we saw you do this. That was wrong. You really did a wrong thing to that brother. I don't care what I did to them. You see, that attitude has to exist, doesn't it? Something has to exist in, that you're resisting. Now you bring it before the church and the whole church says, hey, this has, been go- this has gone on. This is wrong. You shouldn't. We had the witnesses over here. Maybe the whole church didn't see it, but we have the witnesses. And the witnesses are here and they've testified that that's gone on. And you don't want to change? I don't want to change. Now it says what the next step is. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Now it doesn't mean that you, you, uh, you never talk to him again, you cast him out, you, you give him the cold shoulder, evil eye, anything like that. It just means what do you do with tax collectors? You witness Jesus to them. Don't you? Don't you try and get them saved? That's the same thing you should do with them. Because they're not operating in a way that a saved person would operate. And you have to look at them in that way. Alright, let's go on here and see the, the rest of this. Now, I put some things here in, the, in my outline. They're not in yours. I pulled these from some old some old um, outlines we had done. So we've gone over all these principles with you in the past. Just going to review these for you. Here's, this, here's how I entitled it. How to determine a suspicious interpretation. Have you ever heard an interpretation of the Word of God and you thought, I'm not sure if that's true. I wonder if that's actually the way that the Word of God is. So here's a, we gave you four things on this on how to determine that an interpretation is a little bit on the suspicious side. If you want to write these down, feel free to write them down. Here's the first thing, how to determine. No passage directly teaches the principle being taught. No passage in Scripture directly teaches it. But what it is, is the second one, it's a veiled reference here and there. One or two verses of Scripture seems to have a veiled reference to the thing that they're trying to teach. But it doesn't come right out and say, Thou shalt not. If you had a teaching that says, All people who smoke cigarettes are going to hell. Does the Word of God say, Thou shalt go to hell if thou smokest? doesn't say that, does it? But if we took a veiled reference from one or two other places and brought that interpretation in, then we are probably looking at a suspect interpretation. 
the context of the passage is ignored. In order to, to teach that, we're taking one verse, we're taking two verses. We're ignoring what came before, we're ignoring what came after. We are just focusing on the little veiled reference that we have in this one thing because we have pulled out a deeper teaching. We are probably looking at a false, false teaching here. Here's, the, here's the, the big one, though. No one acted that way in the Word. No one did it. The principle that they are trying to teach you has never... Now, we're getting to a principle. I'm going to show you a principle that has been taught in the body of Christ, but that does not meet up with the right criteria. No one in the Word of God performed, acted, or did what this doctrine is teaching you to do. Now, by the same token, we'll give you the flip side. Most of that, we've, we've gone over these often enough. You probably know these. How to recognize right teaching. First off, it is plain. The Word of God comes right out and says it. Thou shalt not. You should be filled. Be whatever it is. It comes right out and says it. It is plain. Secondly, it is repeated. It is repeated. Over and over again, it is repeated. It says it. It doesn't say it one time. It says it several times throughout the Word of God. It, it teaches us that principle. Here's the next one. It is demonstrated. There are people in the Word of God who have done it. Number four, it is consistent. You will see this teaching consistent through the Old Testament, through the New Testament. You will see it throughout. Here's the fifth one. It is witnessed by the Holy Spirit. Down on the inside, the Spirit of God witnesses to you. That's true. That's right. You ought to have that witness on anything before you, you jump on in there and just, just believe it. Have that witness. Well, there's a teaching that went out about this. And I'd, I'm not teaching this because I think we have people here that are, are falling into this. We've uh, taught it before and you all have uh, picked up on this. This is uh, probably nothing new to you. But it's just something we ought to keep in mind. Let's go on in our Matthew chapter 18. Verse 18. Assuredly, I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be what? Bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, does this scripture say that binding is bad? Does this scripture say that loosing is good? Does not, does it? But we get an idea that binding is bad and loosing is good. And I would challenge you to that right now, that binding is not always bad and loosing is not always good. How many of you have ever gone for a walk, been outside exercising, doing something, and somebody has a really big dog on a leash? And as you walk by that dog, that dog starts to get excited. And it went jumping up and down and it wants to get away from the leash and come after you. How many of you are glad that that dog is bound? Does anyone want that dog to be loosed? No, keep that dog bound up right there. I'm going to go over here. We do not want that to be, be uh, loosed at all. Binding is not always bad and loosing is not always good. Some things you want bound... And some things you want loose. Now next week we're going to be looking at the sixth trumpet. And the sixth trumpet 
put it in your, outlaw, your uh, bulletin for you. You can read a, up on that. In the sixth trumpet, there are four angels that have been bound for such a time as is coming when the sixth trumpet is blown. Four angels have been bound and they will be released. And when they are released, the end result is that one third of mankind dies. How many of you are glad that those angels are bound? Last time in the end time class, we looked at the fifth trumpet in which a whole mess of evil spirits were put into the bottomless pit, or the abyss as it's called. And they were released. They were loosed. And they did much harm. How many of you are glad they were not loosed before that, while you're here? <laughs> this, is a, this is all right. We like that. Binding is not always bad. Loosing is not always good. Because sometimes we think about, I want to loose that into my life. I want to, and we, we, we do things like this. But this is what he says. Back to it again. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So whatever it is on the earth that I bind in heaven, it is bound. See, sometimes that's where we get the idea that, well, that's not good. We want to loose things from heaven to come on down to us. But that's not always the case. Because sometimes, because it is bound in heaven, those four angels have been bound in heaven and have not been released. And it is heaven that releases them when the sixth trumpet goes. Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So here's the teaching that has come out of this. How many have ever heard this taught? How many have ever heard Christians do this? I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. I loose that money to come into my life. I loose that job opportunity to be released for me. And we're loosing things that we want and we're binding things that we don't want. I bind sickness and disease. How many have ever heard that one? I bind sickness and disease. I loose the power of God in my life. I loose the healing power of God in my life. Now, we've all heard that done. How many of you in the Old Testament ever saw an Old Testament saint bind anything at all? Well, you see, it's in the name of Jesus and that's in the New Testament. Very good. How many people in the New Testament go through the book of Acts in your head and how many of you can think of Paul, I bind you in the name of Jesus. I loose you. Now, there are a few times those words are used, but it's not used in the way that people are using it. I loose the healing power of God. I bind sickness and disease. Whatever it might be that we're doing. And so we've done this. We've, we've bound and we have loosed, but we haven't seen the result in our life. It doesn't seem to be working. I have bind sickness and disease, but I still seem to be battling sickness and disease. I bind headaches. Headaches, you will not come into my life anymore. I bind that pain. I bind that spirit of, and we name it what it is, and we do all these, but it's not changing. And it's not causing an effect. And yet we can't think of anyone in the Word of God who's used it the way the people are being taught to use it today. Because that's not what's being taught in the Word of God. Again, we went through all the, all the things previous so that you would see this. So that you get an understanding of this. You see, what, hap- what he is talking about here with the children, with the attitudes to the children, 
with the believer who offended you, all these kind of things. He's told you a way, a method in order to do it. If you do not follow what he says about gaining your brother, what will you end up doing? Losing your brother. And you would have bound something that you really were trying to get loosed or you would have loosed something that you're really trying to gain. Let's go on. We'll show the, see the rest of this. Verse 17. And if he refuses to hear them... Whoops, wrong. Went backwards. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now this, this verse here. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And you know, we use this for a lot of applications. We use this for a lot of things. You know what Jesus was actually doing here? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these folks, they had a teaching that went on. And this is what they used to teach their people. For where two or three are gathered in the law, there is God in the midst of them. That's the thing that they would teach. What Jesus just did here by saying this, and it doesn't come across as a shock to us, but it comes across as a shock to them, is he replaced the law with his name. Now, if you were alive in that day and you're used to gathering together in the law, and Jesus comes along and says, in my name, who are you? Who are you? What is your name that we should be gathered in your name? I don't understand that at all. Who are you that this should go on? Whatever you bind. Whatever you bind. And what, what the church has done is we have lost sight of what Jesus was teaching and we have picked up something that he wasn't teaching. And what we have picked up is that through the things we say with our mouth, I bind this thing in my life through the things I say in my mouth, I loose these things in my life because I bind them or loose them at the heavenly level. Because it's done in heaven, it will be done in my life. I do these things with my, with my mouth, the things that I say, the things that I speak, but that's not what he was teaching. That's not what he is teaching. And in fact, as he goes on, you're going to see an example of this, but we'll get to that here in just a minute. Take a look at this. Adam was in the garden. What did Adam bring upon mankind? One word. The curse. Adam brought the curse for mankind. All mankind came under a curse because of what? Now, did all mankind come under a curse because of what Adam said? No, they came under a curse because of what? What Adam did. What did he do? He ate of the tree. He disobeyed what God said to do and did or obeyed what Satan said to do. He believed the words of Satan, disbelieved the words of God. It's what he did that brought us under that curse. All right, there's one of them. Here about this one. Abraham. What did Abraham bring upon all of those, all nations, all families in the earth? A blessing. Blessed 
will all nations be? Were all nations blessed because Abraham said, I loose a blessing upon mankind. I loose a blessing upon the nations of the earth. Is that what he said? Why were the nations blessed because of what Abraham did? Or because of what he did, not because of what he said, right? Because he believed. Because he believed. It's what he did that brought a blessing. What he did that loosed a blessing upon mankind. Now, he's not the only one we're, we're going to take a look at. Let's take a look at this one. Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah came under what? Judgment. They got judged and, you know, the, the burned up, the fire and brimstone, all that sort of stuff happened to, to them. Why did Sodom and Gomorrah become judged? Why was the judgment of God loosed upon them? Now, now think about this. You all know this story. I can just kind of refer to some of it. You remember the angels came over to Abraham? They were talking with Abraham for a bit. And they said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Since he will become great. And so he decides to reveal it to him. He says, I'm I'm here to, to come and to see what? If what they're doing is as bad as I hear. Not what they're saying, what they're doing. He came down to see if what they're doing was as bad as they heard. And so when he went down into Sodom and Gomorrah, he and the the angels, they went down into Sodom and Gomorrah. What did they... what, What brought about the judgment? Was it what they saw or what they heard? It's what they saw. They saw these things going on. It's what Sodom and Gomorrah did, not what they said, that loosed the judgment of God upon them. Here's another one for you. Nineveh. Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh and said, Repent, or judgment is going to come. And what did Nineveh do? They repented. And so it, in effect, it did this. Because of what they did. It bound up the judgment of God that was coming upon them and it loosed the forgiveness of God that came upon them. Didn't it it do that? Judgment was coming to Nineveh. Jonah was sent. Judgment is coming unless you repent. They repented because of what they did. They took what had been loosed to come upon them because of their actions and they bound it up because of what? Their actions. And the, the mercy of God that had been bound up because of their actions was now loosed because of what? Their actions. Folks, we don't bind things in heaven by what I say. I bind them by what I I don't loose things in heaven because of what I say. I loose them because of what I do. And there was teaching we looked at before that Jesus said. He said, one man, a wise man, built his house upon the rock. And the other one built it upon the sand. And the only difference between the two was what they did. 
One heard but didn't do. The other one heard and did. That's the wise man who built it upon the rock. It's what we do that is binding things and what we do that is loosing things. But you see, if you're the enemy, what would you want to do? Divert the attention from the doing and put the attention on something else. And so you have people that go around and they say, I bind this, I loose this, and they name all these things. In the name of Jesus, they get authoritative, they get, they get loud, they get consistent. I bind this in the name of Jesus. I loose this in the name of Jesus. And they're expecting that to happen. And if you're the enemy, you're saying, glory, this is so good. Now they're putting all their efforts into something that won't work. What if you go out to your car and you get all excited, you heard a message about binding and loosing and you go out to your car and instead of starting the car the normal way, you go out to your car and say, I loose you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you will turn on now in the name of Jesus. And you get even louder. I loose you. I bind you, devil, from stopping this car from working. And I loose the power of God upon this car now. And the car sits there. And it doesn't do anything. And people are walking by. And they're laughing. Why are you doing this? I'm trying to get my car started. Why don't you just take the key? If you take the key and you put it in the ignition and you turn it, You don't have to say anything. It just goes. It's what you did, not what you said. When he says, and he does his teaching, and he says, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It has to do with what you do, not so much what you say. And then he went on to tell a parable. Got some other examples for you though too. Remember Balaam? It's what he did, not what he said. If you go through and you read the story of Balaam, you look at all the things he said, what he said is good. What he said, this is fine. Why is God judging him for what he said? Because what he said was good. He put out blessing upon Israel. But we find out in chapters later, it's not what he said, it's what he did. He was trying to act against Israel, but he just couldn't do it. He just couldn't say those words. Egypt did the same thing. When they brought Israel into captivity, and then God says, let my people go, and they didn't do it, what do they end up doing? Loosing the judgment of God upon their nation. And judgment came because of what they did. Even there's times that he says, you know what? I will, I will, Pharaoh says, I will release Israel and they can go. But then he would change his mind. And it didn't, the, the judgment wasn't stopped, was it? Kept on going. Let me give you a couple other examples here. Cain, we looked at him not too long ago. Cain wanted the blessings from God, but what happened to him? 
the offering wasn't accepted because he didn't do what God said to do. And so he bound up the blessings of God. Israel went into battle without God and lost because they bound the Lord from fighting for them by what they did. We will not go. We're going back. We're going to rebel. Let's go on in the scripture here. Then Peter came to him and, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. So this is where it all started, where the brother came into him and, and sinned. I'm supposed to go to that brother and confront him. He says, well, how many times should my brother sin against me? How many have ever gotten tired of forgiving people? I've forgiven you, I'd say at least 20 times. That's a lot of forgiveness. And you haven't had to forgive me, not even once. But I've had to keep on forgiving you. And I'm getting a little tired of forgiving you. So Peter is saying, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, I want you to think back. Don't just read these scriptures. I mean, put yourself in them. Can you think of a brother or sister who has sinned against you seven times? Seven times they sinned against you to the point that you would have had to sit them down and confront them. Seven times. Can you think of anyone in the body of Christ who has sinned against you Seven times. Go ahead and raise your hands on the outside. Let me, let me see. How many people can think of one person, at least, who has sinned against you seven times to where you had to sit them down and talk to them about it? Seven times. Anybody here for seven? Anybody here for six? Do we have five? Anybody here for four times you have gone through this procedure, had to sit somebody down because they have sinned against you four times? Anybody for three times? Has anybody been sinned against twice? Come on, guys. Anybody been sinned against at all? <laughs> anybody at all? All right, we've got one for one time. We can't get hands raised on three times that people have been sinned in, in your life. Three times someone has not sinned against you to the degree to which Jesus was talking about. And Peter says, shall I go through this seven times? So in our lifetime, it has not happened to us seven times. It has not happened to us six times. It has not happened to us five times. It has not happened to us four times. It has not happened to us three times. Maybe a couple of you shy folks weren't quite ready to, to, to raise your hand at two, but whatever. It hasn't, it hasn't been going on. And Peter says, shall I forgive him up to seven times? That seems like it's more than enough to, to uh, take care of an entire life. And Jesus says what? Let's just keep on reading. We got time. Worship was done early. I didn't think they were going to be done so early. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. All right, if you're having a hard time getting to seven, how, how hard is it going to be to get to 70 times seven? 70 times seven is how much? 400 and 90 times. Can you imagine going through this procedure where someone would sin against you to this degree that you would sit them down and confront them on this 490 times? Can you imagine doing that? So Peter really thought he was going over, over on this one. You know, he probably is thinking to himself, well, I can think of somebody who's done this once. Maybe I can think of somebody who's done it. I can't think of anybody who's done this seven. So shall I forgive somebody up to seven times? 
I'm ready. I'll do it up to seven times. I'll do this. And God says, look, you got to go way beyond that. And really, he's not putting a number on it. You just keep on doing it. As long as they sin against you, you follow this procedure. Let's go on and take a look at this story. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. That's over a million dollars. Lots of money. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife, children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. This is against the Jewish law. If a husband is uh, owing a debt, you are not uh, permitted to sell the wife and the children according to Jewish law. So Jesus went outside of Jewish law in order to make this story up. They all know this because they all know Jewish law. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I have half of it now. I'll give you the rest later. He doesn't say that, does he? How much does he say he has? All right, now think about those gangster movies that you watched, you know, and they're running the numbers. They got a bookie. And there's always somebody in the movie who owes the bookie a lot of money. And anybody who owes the bookie a lot of money, how much money do they have right now? None, because it's all on the horses. It's all on the table or whatever it is. They, they put it all out there. As soon as they get some, they go out there, they try and win it all. They try and do that. If, but if they had any money at all, if they had $5,000 in their pocket because they're going down to, to bet it on the horses and try and get enough money to pay everybody off, if they're on their way and they're getting down there to do it and they stop them and they throw them up against the wall, we're going to kill you now. What do they say? Look, I got, I got $5,000. Here, take this and I'll get the rest for you soon. <laughs> Don't they do that? Alright, if this man had any money, would he not have offered it? So he owes more money than he can earn in a lifetime and he offers him nothing. Which means he has how much? Nothing. Either he lost it or it's all tied up in real estate or an investment somewhere, but he has nothing. It is all gone. At least it's not liquid. He can't get it. Have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. What did he do? Released him and forgave him the debt. We just, uh, was it Sunday we talked about the release and the forgive? We used those, those two words. We saw there was a releasing that was going on, different from the forgiving. He released him and forgave him the debt. He released him. Has he not loosened this? Has he not just, I'm going to, you've been bound to owing this debt. I am going to set you free from this debt and loose you from it. Is that not the language he's using? This is the story that Jesus is telling after he just talked about binding and loosing, right? So we're going to loose them. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Exactly the same thing that he had said earlier. Word for word. And this was a small debt. A little tiny debt, about a day's wage. 
And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he called him, said to him, You wicked servant. Notice this. He is never called wicked when he was in debt. When he is in debt, all that, he is never called wicked. He is only called wicked at this part of the story. You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. So here's what he's teaching you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound where? Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed where? So this man came. I'll pay you the whole thing. And the master forgave him. He was forgiven. And he went out and refused to forgive another. So forgiveness had been loosed into his life and he refused to pass that on. So when the master heard about it, what did he do to the forgiveness he had extended? It was loosed. What did he do? He bound it up. What was loosed was bound. Why? And Jesus says it right in the parable. Because of what the man did. We do not bind things in our life by the words we use in our mouth. We bind things in our life by the actions that we take. By the things that we do. This is why a lot of people go around and they say this and they say that and they say, I believe, I trust, I'm, I'm confessing all these things and then their life doesn't show it because in their life they live in such a way that they bind up the things in heaven instead of loosing the things that they want. And the very story that Jesus gave for this principle is what was loosed that was good in this man's life was bound up again because the man bound it up by not forgiving others. And what Jesus is saying here, he's specifically pointing at the area of forgiveness. Specifically pointing to the area of forgiveness. If you will not forgive others, what does he say? Neither will my Father forgive you. If you want to loose the forgiving power of God in your life, what do you need to do? Forgive others. And forgive who? Everyone, even down to the insignificant child. Because what happens to those who receive children? Folks, you even go all the way down to to little children. No one's insignificant. Well, the little children aren't insignificant. What about when they grow up? They're still not insignificant. There is no one in your life, folks, that is insignificant enough. No one in your life that is so insignificant 
that your actions toward them will not have an action that returns upon you. There is no one in your life that is that insignificant. You must treat them all. Now, I'm amazed at how much people don't treat others very nicely. Not from you guys. You guys, I I believe the world in you. I believe when you go out there, you treat people far and above. But there's people out there and they're just nasty. Have you seen them? Oh, man, they're just nasty. I was in a bank uh, on, uh, I guess it was Friday. And there was a problem in my account. I had made a deposit. Someone had paid me for a bunk bed. I took that check and I put it in the bank and used the teller that I know she is a sweetheart, just nice as can be. And uh, I think she's that way with everybody. I mean, she, she remember you pull up and she knows who you are, who, what your account is, uh, how many kids you have, how many grandkids you have. Uh, just remembers the whole thing. Just amazing what she can do. And so um, I made the deposit and I didn't think too much about it. Because when was the last time anybody had a problem with a deposit in the bank? I mean, we hardly ever have any problems with the bank. So uh, I was just checking something on the, uh, on the bank, pulling up the app. And it is, my, that balance is lower. That balance is lower. Have you ever thought that? How many times have you thought that balance is lower and then you find, oh, I know why I spent this over here. I did this thing. Well, I'm thinking, I didn't really, I can't think of anything I spent. So I start going through the, the, uh, the app and looking at all the, the things. And um, all of a sudden I realized, wow, I don't see that check I deposited for that, um, that the, it's not there. I said, well, I think they gave me a paper receipt and I had that still out in the truck. So I have to go back to the bank. I'll just take it on in there and, and we'll sit on down and we'll, we'll have them go through it. So uh, the, the nice person that I told you about was on vacation. She had told me she's going on vacation. So I knew she wasn't going to be in there. So I wasn't going to see the person who made the deposit. But I went on in there, went to the teller. And I said, uh, I have two things. I'm doing it. And, and then I have, here's my, here's my slip. But I can't find it as I look on the website and I look on the app. I, I can't find it. So I'll, take care of that for you. She took it on over. She's looking all kinds of places. She says, you know what? I can't find it either. <laughs> I'm going to have to have you talk to a banker. So I went on over there and I waited for somebody and, you know, they had somebody pretty quick and there was this uh, young lady there who's behind the desk and I had seen her before. I hadn't really had to deal with her in a lot of, long, long, long time. But anyway, I sat on down and I said, oh, I remember your face. And she says, oh yeah, I remember you too. And so we sat on down and I gave her all the stuff and all the different, uh, you know, my ID and you know, all the things you got to give them and give them the slip. And so she was typing away and the manager came on over and he was looking at it too and they're all looking. I don't see it. I don't see it. So maybe it went to, you know, the, the slip only shows you the last four digits of your account number. Maybe the last four digits are right, but it went to uh, something else was wrong. So they went on back there and they went through the whole thing. They couldn't find it anywhere. They're looking. I'm just sitting there. They're working away. And uh, I says, well, we're going to have to make some calls on this. And so they went away and they made some calls and they came back and they're pushing more buttons and checking some more things out and they're still not finding it. And finally, they found a trace of it. We, we see it over here, but we have no idea where it is or, or anything about it. But we, we think we got a little bit of it. I think, it, I don't even know how long it took. I wasn't watching my watch. I wasn't. I was just sitting there, you know, and waiting for them to get done. And when they, they finally got done, all right, we found it. Now we just got to figure out how to get it from where it is back over into your account. And so uh, it took them some more time and they finally got on over there and managers, he's still standing there right there and, 
And then and uh, finally said, oh, we appreciate your patience. Oh, it's no problem. I appreciate you working on this thing. And finally, we got done this whole thing. And uh, they got it all done. And they showed me where it was on the account. And we got it all fixed up. And they gave me all the pieces of paper that I needed. And we're all done. And we stood up to go. And they, said, they just said, thank you for being so nice about this. And not everybody is, is, is nice like that. Not everybody is... I'm thinking, well, what am I, what's going to happen? I'm going to sit here and yell at you. You're already working. You were working on nothing but on my account. That I got the manager. I got you. You are working on. I didn't say this to him, but I'm thinking you got. You're working on nothing but working on my account. You're not distracted on other things. All you're doing is this. If I start yelling at you, how are you going to work harder? How are you going to do more? I just let him sit there and, and go there. I didn't really say much of a word at all. But it amazes me that people don't treat other people that way. They just don't treat them nice. So there's a lot of offense going on. There's a lot of problems going on. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to forgive people. And you know what? You're going to have to do it. You're going to have to forgive people. Because if you do not forgive people, guess what? (laughs) You bind that up in heaven. What if you don't extend mercy to people? What happens? You see, Jesus didn't say, what forgiveness you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what forgiveness you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He didn't say that, did he? He said, whatever. Didn't he say that? Whatever you bind on earth, you loose in heaven. So how do I bind it up? In whatever I have received from God, if I do not freely give that to other people, I bind that up from coming back to me in heaven. Whatever I loose... I loose it in heaven. Whatever it is. It can be good things. It can be bad things. Whatever it is that I loose, I loose it by my actions. I bind it up by my actions. So you think about it this week as you go through your, your, your day. What am I loosing into my life? What am I binding in my life? What have I loosed? What have I bound? You see, you... Those people that are nasty, they have bound many things in their life. And that is their existence. But don't you follow their example. Just because they have bound up forgiveness towards you. Just because they have bound up mercy towards you. Just because they have bound up finances towards you. Doesn't mean that you should bind up any of those things towards other people. The Word of God, Jesus told us this. He said, freely you have received. Freely Give. Freely you have received. Freely give. Don't mess with how other people are taking it, how other people are receiving it, what other people do to you. Because it does not say that whatever you bind on earth will be bound on earth. Does it? He says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Can you see the difference? People may still operate in a way of not extending mercy, not extending forgiveness, not extending whatever it is that that you're extending. But it doesn't say that. It says in heaven. Which means as long as you keep walking in forgiveness, as long as you keep on walking in mercy, as long as you keep on walking in love, as long as you keep on walking in believing the best in others, as long as you keep doing that to the other people that are around you, from heaven, that is an open door. And it just keeps freely flowing to you. It doesn't say it's going to come from other people. 
It says it's coming from heaven. How many of you would rather have your source be heaven than other people? Oh, yeah, because that's a bigger source out there. But see, the enemy gets us to thinking, if I walk in forgiveness to other people, if I walk in mercy to other people, then they should also walk in mercy to me. And when they don't walk in mercy to you, when you have walked in mercy to them, what do we think? Well, I'm just going to stop walking in mercy to people. I'm not going to go that way. No. Because then I'll start binding things up in my life. Don't do it. As many people as need forgiveness, forgive them. As many people as need mercy, extend mercy. As many people need love, and they all do, extend it. Just keep giving it. Because the more you give it, the more you open it up to come from heaven. And if it comes from heaven, are you going to run out? You're not going to run out of mercy. You're not going to run out of love. You're not going to run out of joy. You're not going to run out of gladness. You're not going to run out of any of these things because you have opened the door to send them to others. Therefore, the door is open from God to send it to you. You have opened that door. See, a lot of conditions that we have, folks, is because we have closed the door to the good things and we have opened the door to the bad things. And God wants it to be the other way around. He wants you to open the doors to the good things and close the door to the bad things. Conditions in your life will change on a permanent basis if you will do the things that God says to do. Because if you do what He says to do, then whatever it is that you have loosed down here on the earth by doing the things that God says to do towards other people, then God can pour those things out upon you. Whatever things you have bound, God can bind them for you. Whatever things you have run interference, I'm going to stop that from getting to those people. They don't need to have that in their life. God says, now I can run interference and stop that from happening to you. Whatever it is that you do on earth has a corresponding reaction in heaven. And see, the only thing in the equation here is what you do. The only thing is what you do. Not what you believe. Not what you confess. Not what you declare. It's what you do. If you walk in forgiveness, you receive forgiveness. If you walk in such a way to spread joy, God will spread joy. If you walk in a way that you bind up your joy, guess what happens to the joy of the Lord? It stops being your strength. It stops coming your way. Whatever it is on earth that you bring into to, to bonds, in heaven, it is brought into bondage. Whatever it is that you have loosed on earth through the things that you do, whatever things, those things have been loosed in heaven toward you. Whenever you act in any way towards anyone, don't look at it that they will receive, I will receive from them or I will receive from other people around. Don't even think about them. Think about it from God. Father God, I have released this. Therefore, I receive it from you. Would you all stand up with me? What are you now binding by your actions? What are you loosing by your actions? What kind of things are you altering in your life simply by the things that you do 
or don't do. Let God speak to this week as you go through the week. Father God, I am listening to the things that you have to say. Show me what I am binding that I don't want bound. Show me what things I'm binding that I do want bound. Show me what things I am loosing that I don't want loosed. Show me what things I am loosing that I do want loose. See these things. Let God show God open my eyes. Let me see. Let me see. When you have those harsh words, what do harsh words loose in your life? Stir up anger in other people. Stir up anger. We don't need those those things going on. We don't want those things going on, but they continue to go on no matter how much we pray about them, ask God about them. They don't change because I'm not doing the things that will stop it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you help us to overcome. You bring us to a place of victory. You want those good things to be loosed. You want those bad things to be bound and you have shown us how to do it. And we need to go and do what we saw others in the Word of God do. To loose blessings. To loose good things into our life. To bind up those things that we don't want in our life. To bind up worry, fear, anger, bitterness. We can bind those things up in our life. Or we can loose them. I thank you that this week you would be speaking to us. Stopping us in our tracks at times when we have done the things that will bring about what we don't want. We can change. We can make things better. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As you go through this week and you see some of these things going on and you turn it around. Write it down. Bring it with you next Sunday. Share it with, with people so we can, we can hear about it. We have some praise reports. I see some more being, being gathered. Yeah, you can, you can sit down if you like. Chris Barner said, my son Ryan was working at a company in Horsham. He had a contract which was to go full-time employment. Last week, his boss was let go and the project he was working on were discontinued unexpectedly. A company he interviewed with last summer reached out to him and offered him a full-time job that starts July the 14th. He was thankful for the experience he was able to get over the last year, experience he felt will help him do a better job do better in the new job versus a year ago and very excited about this new opportunity. Boy, that's a neat thing to hear. I praise God for saving me from a major road accident. No one was injured. No cars were damaged. And God gave me an opportunity to pray with one of the drivers. We prayed for the other driver who um, who had personal health issues. Praise God. Oh, that's always good sharing. Is that on your way over to here? I'm thinking, where is Ara today? (laughs) Anna has this to say, I thank the Lord for healing my eyes. I have had no medicine for several days and the infection has not come back. Thankful for your prayers. The battle has been won. 
Amen. That is good to, to, to know. Well, as you are listening to Candy and Bobby, Bobby is still suffering a great deal from the uh, neuropathy from uh, the treatments that he received. So we will continue to lift him up in prayer that the Word of God that he is believing is working in his life. Glory to God. It has worked. It is done. Glory to God. We all stand up with me. All right, if you were here on Wednesday night, we started a new series on Wednesday. Uh, we're going to doing a series on the character, the person, John the Baptist. If you're up on Facebook, you saw the notices we put up there on that. So we had the first one this past Wednesday. If you missed it, want to catch it up, it's on the, it should be on the Wednesday side. I've got to go back and make sure that I put it on the Wednesday side. But it's uh, posted up there. It's on one side or the other. You can get the first one from the John the Baptist. But we're not going to be here this week. I gave them a little bit of a word of warning last Wednesday for those who came out. I was thinking that we were going to be going away like two or three days out of the week that we're heading out somewhere. But apparently, folks, we are leaving in hours. <laughs> so we're going to be heading out here pretty pretty soon. We got one of those last-minute deals kind of thing, and we just got to drive a little bit further to, to go out there and to, to get it. But um, we ought to get a, a cheaper vacation than if we went to Ocean City, New Jersey, or the other places in Things like that. So that's what we're we're going to be doing. So we're heading out uh, this, as soon as we get back. We're, get to, we're taking a rental car, and we're all going to drive down to Florida and uh, let the little girl have her way with the uh, rides and the princesses and the uh, princes and all the different things that are are going on with that. We're looking forward to seeing her faces. But we will be back by Saturday next week, so we'll still be here on on Sunday. But just no service on on Wednesday night. We won't uh, we won't have that. So if you missed Wednesday, we we didn't have everybody here at the Wednesday service, so if you can pick up and catch up on the, the first one. So that's going to be going on. So we're going to leave here this afternoon, and we're going to be coming back uh, by Saturday next week. And then next Sunday, we will have the, course, regular service, and then we have the end times class at 1 o'clock. We will still be, be having all that. We're on trumpet number 6. All that's in your bulletin. You can catch up on, on those things. But we will not be here on Wednesday. So don't come out to church for Wednesday night service because uh, it won't be here. There's a couple of, you know, Keith sometimes fills in for me and Ethel sometimes fills in for me, but um, I really wasn't able to give them any kind of notice to, to come in on a Wednesday night, and they're about the only ones I know who can come out on a Wednesday night and, and take the, the service on that one. So um, we just figured it was a little bit easier just to cancel, cancel on that one. All right. Well, you all have a blessed day. Greet some folks before you, before you go, and we will see you all next Sunday.